All right, good afternoon. We are uh, in lesson number 88 tonight. Uh, if you're going to follow along in the curriculum or if you just want to follow along in the Bible, uh, we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 29 through 44. I feel like I should go back there where everybody else is, but then I'm going to have to move the camera and everything. So uh, I guess we'll just stay up here. Um, but we are looking at a, a very important event tonight in the life of Christ. Uh, again, uh, this is going to be mentioned by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, uh, of course, we understand that it's important because it's in all four gospel accounts. But before we get there, uh, if you were with us on Sunday morning, we looked at an account with uh, Jesus. Um, well, actually, everyone, uh, we, we started off talking about how everyone was starting to make their way to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the Passover is soon, and everyone's making their way there, meaning the, the Jews, uh, especially the Jewish men who were required to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. So we've got all these people heading towards Jerusalem who maybe live outside the city uh, or maybe even outside of Israel itself, and they're making that pil pilgrimage to there. And we, we notice even six days before the Passover, people are coming there. Uh, we're told because they were purifying themselves. Uh, they were going through this ceremonial cleansing uh, to get ready for the Passover meal. But also, the city was in quite a buzz as to uh, Jesus. Uh, people were, you know, they're talking, what's going to go on? You know, is Jesus going to show up or is he not going to show up? Uh, because, of course, uh, the, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish uh, religion, they were... Uh, wanting him imprisoned, right? They were wanting him killed. And, and so they basically put this report out saying, you know, if you see him, report it to us. Uh, we want to know. And so, again, the city is in a buzz. Now, Jesus uh, is not in Jerusalem at this time, but he's in uh, Bethany. He's at the home of this man named Simon the leper. Uh, again, we're not exactly sure who this individual is. A lot of people think this was the father of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, because at this time there's a meal going on. Martha's serving, Mary's there, and so is Lazarus. Lazarus is reclining with Jesus at the table, and of course Mary was really the focus of this account because she anointed Jesus. She had this uh, this alabaster vial filled with nard. And uh, we're told that it was worth somewhere around 300 denarii, which was quite a lot, almost a whole year's worth of wages to the average individual. And she breaks the vial and she anoints Jesus from head to toe with this very expensive perfume. Now, of course, uh, Judas and some others were not very happy about this. Uh, Judas says, you know, why wasn't this sold and the money put into the into the, you know, the money box so that it could be used to help uh, the needy, the poor. But of course, we're told that Judas, uh, he didn't really care about the poor. He just, he was a thief, right? We're, we're told directly in those verses that he was a thief and he wanted that money uh, for himself. And so, uh, but Jesus says to Judas and those other others that, you know, leave her alone. You know, she did a good thing. You know, she was anointing his body, um, of course, uh, she doesn't know this. Nobody knows this really at, at this time. But, you know, in, in a week's time, he's going to be crucified. And so it's sort of a, a symbolic thing that she's doing, anointing a Jesus for burial. Um, 
And we, but again, he says, you know, let her alone. She did a good thing for me. And we sort of made a really powerful application point to that lesson was that, you know, we need to do good things for people now uh, rather than waiting until, you know, maybe uh, after they, they die, right? Uh, Mary did something great for Jesus then. Uh, she, uh, um, you know, we could, again, make that application to ourselves that, you know, instead of saying something nice to someone uh, right now, a lot of times we wait until their eulogy or their funeral and then say something nice. But uh, as Mary's example here is, you know, let's do those things now, right, before that person uh, passes on. And so, again, uh, just a powerful lesson uh, that we have there with, with Mary. And uh, we're, at the very end of that lesson, we noticed that Jesus and Lazarus were spotted. You know, people found out that they're in the vicinity they're in the area, and of course, uh, they want Lazarus as well, right? They, they want to have Lazarus arrested and put to death as well because he's, he's a walking sermon of just the, of the power of God and Jesus. And so uh, they're looking, again, to put uh, both of them uh, to death. And so that's what we looked at Sunday morning. We're continuing on here uh, this evening. Again, all four gospel writers uh, mentioned this account. But we're going to stick here to Luke's account, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 29. And um, this, is, uh, this is the last Sunday of our Lord's earthly life. And there's often a name that we often attribute to, to it. Or maybe in your Bibles it has a heading right before verse 28 or 29. Do you have that in your Bibles as to what this is often referred to as? Some Bibles will uh, have a, a heading uh, in new sections, but uh, as for mine, it says the triumphal entry, right? And we often refer to this uh, part in Scripture as the triumphant entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And, you know, it's ironic, right? That, that's, that, that, that phrase triumphant entry, it's sort of ironic because um, phys- from a physical perspective, does he triumph as he goes into Jerusalem for the last time? Yeah, not, not physically, uh, but spiritually. Spiritually speaking, from a spiritual perspective, he's going to bring deliverance. Not physically, but uh, as we'll notice here in a moment, you know, again, the, 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 the apostles, the, the disciples, they have their mind on uh, the physical aspect of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so, again, he's traveling towards Jerusalem. Uh, he, he arrives at Bethany. Uh, we're told, you know, probably that's uh, Friday night. He has the meal with Simon the leper, probably Saturday evening, and anointed by Mary that day. And then John chapter 12, verse 12, that we saw last week, says uh, the next day he heads to Jerusalem. And so, again, that's going uh, to be Sunday. And do we know uh, today, uh, maybe you've seen it on your calendars before, but what is that day often referenced as? Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the week before Easter, the Sunday before Easter. Passover. Not the Passover, but the week, the week prior to that. In some religious circles, they, you know, they'll celebrate this day and they'll refer to it as a Palm Sunday. All right, Palm Sunday. That's what's going on here is maybe you've seen that on a calendar, Palm Sunday. And we'll notice here why it's referenced that, um, 
But again, his disciples are convinced that he's setting up an earthly kingdom. Remember last week we talked about the story of the Minas, uh, that parable of the Minas. And you know, Jesus gave that parable of the Minas because we're told in Luke 19 verse 11 that because they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So again, they have their, their thoughts on this uh, physical kingdom that Jesus is going to ride into uh, Jerusalem and set up his, his kingdom, his, uh, of course, because, you know, James and John, they want positions on the left and right-hand side, but, of course, that's not what's going to happen. It's not, it's not Jesus, a military leader, but it's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. It's Jesus, the suffering servant. That's who's coming in to Jerusalem. And so um, the curriculum sort of has it set up a little way. We're going to notice four characteristics of Jesus as we read through this account. And so let's notice this first one uh, that, uh, that really uh, that's emphasized here is that Jesus is powerful. Jesus is all-knowing. So let's uh, start in verse 29 of Luke 19. Uh, when, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. Its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. Okay. So uh, I, don't, I didn't put the map up. I should have, I guess, because uh, we've noticed a couple of different new places uh, that were mentioned here. Uh, the Mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, and uh, this uh, city called Bethphage. And again, um, you know, we know where the Mount of Olives are. Uh, we know where Bethany is. We, we don't necessarily know where Bethphage is, uh, but we know it's near those places. And so that's where Jesus is. And uh, let's talk about these, these animals involved. Uh, we notice here that um, if we were to read Matthew's account, Matthew's account lets us know that uh, when, when he tells his disciples to go into the city, he says that there is a donkey and a colt, and they're to bring uh, both the donkey and the colt, while uh, Mark, Luke, and John, they only are fixated on the, the colt, or you know, the, the younger of the two. But uh, Matthew mentions that there, there's, uh, you know, a mom and, and a child, and uh, I'll probably get my terms mixed up because, you know, I didn't grow up around a lot of animals, but uh, we have a donkey and we have a colt. And uh, <clears throat> of all choices of an animal to uh, ride on into Jerusalem, why a donkey? Why do you think a donkey was chosen? Yeah, exactly. So uh, a horse in that time period represented an animal of war. It represented, you know, a prideful thing that a king, a king would have rode on, right? Um, just thinking off the top of my head, but there's the passage in Deuteronomy where it talks about, you know, when, 
when, when you have a king, uh, don't let that king you know, uh, accumulate a lot of horses, right? Because it's a prideful thing. But a horse was an animal of war. And, here, and that's what you might have expected a king to ride on as he comes into, uh, into Jerusalem. But he chooses a donkey. Uh, a donkey was uh, a humble, represented a humble animal. Uh, it represented, again, as Eddie said, it's, it was different in today's day than it was you know, back then. A donkey meant something different. Donkeys were ridden by uh, princes on special occasions. Uh, Solomon uh, was, rode on a donkey. David had Solomon ride on a donkey when he went into his coronation uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 1. And kings rode on donkeys uh, during uh, peaceful times. Right? Uh, instead of when it was wartime, you rode a horse, but during peaceful times, you rode uh, a donkey. That's what's going on here, right? Because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a, a peaceful mission, right? The Prince of Peace he is. Now, on the, the other aspect, um, why did he choose a colt? Why did he choose, as we're told here, an animal that had never been ridden on before. This one's a, a little bit a tougher, but uh, there are some passages in the Old Testament, especially uh, Numbers 19, verse 2, uh, that talks about how, um, you know, if you were going to use an animal in, you know, sort of a, uh, a sacred service like this, that you would use something that had never been uh, broken into before. And so... Uh, you know, again, yeah, he's riding a donkey. He's riding a donkey that had never been uh, used before. And, and so we have here uh, an example, again, as this first point is, is that Jesus is powerful, right? He, he sends his disciples into this town so that they would come back with this donkey and the colt. And we saw a couple of miracles uh, take place. Did you, did you happen to catch uh, two of those miracles in particular that happened? First, we could say there was a miraculous knowledge of Jesus, right? Uh, he is not in this city. He's not in this town, but he gives these precise details to uh, those two disciples, right? He, he tells them the number of animals. Uh, again, if you're reading from Matthew's account, he says, go into that town and there's going to be a donkey and it's colt uh, tied up. Uh, again, specific as to uh, how many, specific as to what type of animal. Uh, he's going to say that, you know, if the owner questions you, you're, you're to say this. And he also, you know, we understand that the, the owner's willingness to allow the animals to come back with the disciples. Right? And maybe, maybe he was a disciple of Jesus. Maybe he was one of those that had been uh, converted uh, back when, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, uh, being in the, that part of the, the city. Uh, but again... Uh, you know, this is miraculous knowledge on the part of Jesus to say, you know, go into the city and uh, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to find. Uh, but then there's also the miraculous power uh, that he had over the animal, right? Um, how does an animal react uh, like a donkey or a horse react the first few times you try to get on, get on it? Buck you off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to buck you off, isn't it? It's, uh, um, you know, again, they're surrounded by this great crowd. There's got to be plenty of noise going on, yet we're told that there was no protest given, 
right? Do you, do you think there was something miraculous uh, involved there uh, with Jesus uh, getting on this colt and for, for no one to have ever ridden it and, and uh, he gets on it? And again, that shows, uh, you know, Jesus' uh, miraculous um, power over even animals. You know, we, you know, we could talk about all of the different uh, tales in Scripture of, you know, Jesus uh, with the fish and the coin in its mouth that we um, are going to look at soon and uh, Balaam's donkey and, and Jonah, of course, all of the different, uh, you know, miraculous events that happen around animals uh, that we see in the scriptures. But here's another one. And so, um, again, let, let's remember the power of Jesus, right? And as, as, as the uh, curriculum talks about, you know, sometimes we tend to forget about that. We tend to forget that he knows everything about us. We tend to forget sometimes that Jesus knows best. Uh, but here, again, is an example of Jesus uh, displaying that great power uh, as he uh, you know, leads his disciples uh, into the town to retrieve uh, the donkey and the colt. Here's the part that we really want to focus in tonight. Uh, the second characteristic is Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Let, let's read verse 35 through 40. So they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees uh, in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Okay, so uh, Jesus is uh, coming into Jerusalem on this colt. And why? Uh, why? Uh, you know, what's this reason for him entering into Jerusalem? He's the savior of the world. <laughs> And look at verse 38 again. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? The, the king is coming. Uh, he's finally coming. Uh, Jesus is finally uh, being treated as a king here. Um, now, what's being um, quoted here? Uh, maybe uh, if you, you have in your uh, copy of the scriptures is um, maybe you have some quotations around some of these verses here. Um, Verse 38 in particular, maybe they're all capitalized because it's quoting passages in the Old Testament. And in particular, we have a passage in the prophet, the minor prophet Zechariah that is being quoted here. Zechariah is 14 chapters. The chapters 9 through 14 are very highly messianic, meaning a lot of it is pertaining to you know, the coming Messiah prophesying about him. And, you know, if we had the time to study this, this uh, chapter, uh, we could notice a few things, but I'll try to give you kind of the clip notes of it. But in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, Zechariah is prophesying about an invasion that's going to happen. And, uh, <clears throat> and in this uh, invasion, uh, there's certain enemies. Uh, in verse 13, actually, it tells us who it is. It's Greece. Um, this is the equivalent to uh, Alexander the Great. You're familiar with Alexander the Great, uh, who, you know, you, you, 
do you remember what his, uh, his goal was as a, a world-dominating leader at that time? He wanted to take over the world. You know, Alexander was the great. Was, he was a pretty young guy even when he died. But he uh, covered a vast area of land, conquering it. Uh, remember, if we go back to the book of Daniel, remember you've got the, the, that statue with the four different sections that are represented. You know, and, and Babylon is you know, the head of gold. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And then the Medes and the Persians. And then you get to that third level, and that's the Greeks. That's, um, that, that's Alexander the Great. And this uh, Zechariah here in chapter 9 is prophesying about when uh, Alexander the Great, when the, the Greeks are going to uh, be taking over the world, basically. But we're told here in uh, verse 9 in particular, well, in verse 8 in particular, God says through the prophet, but I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no oppressor will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. And so God's basically saying through Zechariah uh, at that moment that uh, he's going to protect Jerusalem. And I was reading some interesting accounts uh, of this historian by the name of Josephus uh, that we bring up from time to time. Said that, said that there were some Jews that actually brought this up to Alexander the Great. Uh, that you know, the Old Testament's prophesying about him and that he shouldn't you know, uh, go and try to uh, take over Jerusalem. And so apparently he didn't do that at first. And so that was sort of interesting. But look at verse 9. So, so here, here, again, Zechariah, he's prophesying about 500 years before Jesus is going to live on the earth. And he says in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Zion, or, uh, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before this event's going to take place, Zechariah said, your king is coming and he's going to be coming on a donkey. You know, that's, that's, that's predictive prophecy, right? That's one of the great inspirations of the scriptures, why we believe the scriptures are 100% from God, uh, because we see these things happen over and over again. Uh, you know, again, 500 years before this ever happened, Zechariah said that your king is going to come, and he's going to come mounted on a donkey. It's just it's an amazing thing to think of. Um, they haven't had a king uh, at this time in over 70 years, right? They uh, they went away into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Uh, they come back, and uh, they haven't had a king, but God says a king is coming. And, of course, that's in reference to Jesus. And, and the, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all attribute uh, that verse in Zechariah to Jesus here in the New Testament. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be riding on that donkey. And so... Um, and so again, just amazing thoughts. Um, remember, Paul said in Galatians chapter four, verse four, you know, in the fullness of time, you know, I will send my son into the world, and, and that was this time. You know, everything was perfectly laid out for God to send Jesus into the world, and He does that. And uh, again, your King is coming, and now He's here. So, uh, you know, what were they saying as Jesus was coming into? Uh, Jerusalem again as he's riding on that donkey. 
Yeah, so, so we didn't read that here a, a moment ago, but in Matthew's account, you know, we're probably more familiar with Matthew's account, which talks about, you know, Hosanna in the highest, right? Um, Hosanna, this is uh, a word meaning uh, save now, deliver now, uh, exclamation point, uh, save. Um, you know, apparently these people, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they recognize that they needed salvation. Uh, again, uh, maybe not spiritual salvation, but more of a physical salvation, but they're saying, save us now, King, right? Deliver us now. Hosanna in the highest, son of David. Again, we talked about that the other day, uh, the, a messianic title, right? That he's of the lineage of David. Of course, the, the, the Christ was to come from the lineage of David. So, you know, again, Hosanna, uh, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And so, so they're saying these things, and then what else are they, what are they doing as he comes into Jerusalem? Yeah. So they, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're taking their coats off, putting it on, putting it on the colt. They put Jesus on the colt. Of course, uh, this, um, you know, obviously there, there's the cushion there for him. Uh, this colt's never been ridden before. There's no saddle or anything like that. And so, and then they're lining the way with their clothes and these leafy branches, these palm leaves. And uh, this is like the modern day version of rolling out the red carpet, right? Because the king's coming to town. And so, as Eddie said, you know, honor, loyalty, submission due to a king. That's what they're showing Jesus as he comes in. And, and there's some significance of them using these palm branches. Uh, it's often referenced in, in the Old Testament as a symbol of blessing and a symbol of victory. Um, I think it was the Israelites' sort of national symbol as well, that the palm tree, the palm leaf. And so they're laying these down. But, you know, think of this. Um, as those people are doing that, how many of them are going to be, you know, less than a week later yelling, crucify him, crucify him? Yeah, that's uh, sort of a chilling thought to think about uh, there. But um, so the Pharisees speak up at this point and they say, uh, you know, rebuke them, right? Because they're saying these things about you. Uh, they're probably thinking that this is blasphemy, right? That they're attributing uh, these verses, uh, Hosanna, uh, you know, coming in the name of the Lord, these things to Jesus. Of course, they don't believe that Jesus is uh, the, the Messiah, the Savior, and uh Jesus says, well, if they become silent, the stones will cry out. What do you think that means? If Jesus, er, if, these, if these people become silent, these stones are going to cry out. Yeah, I had to stop and think about that for a little bit and do some research on that verse. But, you know, it's sort of a proverbial statement, right, that... Um, it's, it's impossible to restrain these people, right? The, the king is coming into town, and uh, there, there's just, there's no way you're going to be able to tell them all to be quiet and stop celebrating uh, like this. And uh, because, you know, the, king, the king's here, he's, he's making his appearance. And, and so, uh, you know, we often picture the Lord as, uh, you know, hanging from the cross at, during, you know, these last few days of his life. But we also need to remember him as Jesus the king, right? And it's the, the king that the prophets of 
the Old Testament are constantly talking about. Uh, here he is on the, the Passover week. He's coming in, facing the danger. He knows uh, he's now, of course, now he's reigning in heaven uh, as king. Um, again, and I like this point that it made talking about, you know, thinking about this triumphant entry into Jerusalem and, you know, the aspect of it, well, what about when he returns? Right? What's that going to look like? What's, what's that going to be like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if that was a triumphant entry, you know, what's, what's it going to be like when he returns? Yeah. I, I was, uh, well, I don't know if time to tell this story, but I was, I was studying for. Uh, one of my sermons on Sunday about, you know, the hymn that we you often sing, you know, uh, 10,000 angels, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, where in scripture does it talk about that, uh, that he could have called 10,000 angels. And, and there's that verse in uh, Matthew that talks about, you know, you know, Jesus says, you know, if, uh, don't you know that I could have called, you know, 12 legions of angels to come and to rescue me? Well, a legion was 6,000. And so um, he said I could have called 12 legions to me. So, you know, 12 times 6,000 is 72,000, right? He could have called at, at that moment. He, he was saying I could have called, you know, 72,000 angels uh, to my side. Well, it, you know, is that the exact number of angels uh, that God has created? You know, I don't know. Probably not. But uh, just think about you know, when Jesus returns, again, in Matthew 25, he says when he returns, he's going to return with all his angels, right? Again, what a sight that's going to be to see Jesus, uh, you know, if we get to experience that, to see him returning with, you know, all those angels. And uh, again, uh, again, why, why that, that hymn is called uh, 10,000 angels? Um, I guess 10,000 is kind of a better uh, uh, way to rhyme in a song, then he could have called 72,000 angels, but uh, uh, I just thought that was uh, pretty interesting. So, again, we've got the triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem, but again, uh, it'll be much greater, much grander uh, when he returns. And, and so, that's Jesus the King. Um, we got about five minutes left. Uh, let's look at verse 41, uh, because this is going to let us know that Jesus is caring and empathetic. So, verse 41, it says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. So one of his brightest moments coming into Jerusalem, but now he's, he's weeping. He's weeping over uh, Jerusalem. Uh, we've, you know, we, we just recently talked about you know, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus weeping, Jesus wept. Uh, the Greek word for that word wept uh, during the, that, you know, that John eleven thirty five when he wept because of Lazarus was kind of a, uh, a tearfulness in his eyes. Uh, not necessarily, it was sort of an inaudible uh, crying. But here we have uh, a, a different Greek word when it says Jesus wept, and this is more audible. This is visible sobbing, visible moaning, so a little bit more emotional. And later on, uh, when he's uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane and he cries, uh, that, that Greek word used was for a strong cry. You know, we might say bawling. And so, um, so here's the aspect. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's crying over Jerusalem. And this is an audible cry. So people would have 
seen that. And why did he do that? Well, a couple of reasons are mentioned. Uh, number one, because he's, he's, uh, he's thinking about the sad state of Jerusalem at that time. Again, within a few days, they're going to execute him. Uh, they're going to free a man like Barsabbas, Bar who was a murderer and a thief, uh, instead of him. Right? And, uh, um, and they were blinded to, to the peace that he was bringing. Right? He's coming into Jerusalem to bring peace, yet they are going to put him to death. So maybe that's an aspect as to why he was weeping. But really, uh, probably the, the main reason why is because of what's going to happen to Jerusalem uh, about 40 years later into the future in AD 70. And really, we, we're told uh, that's probably the reason why he's weeping uh, in verses 43 and 44. So for the, the sake of time, let's just go ahead and read the final verses, uh, starting in verse 42. It says, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You know, AD 70 is uh, an event that Jesus uh, often talks about uh, in, in the life of Christ, but uh, really there, we're not given to, you know, any details uh, you know, about what occurs during that time. But that, of course, is when the, you know, the Roman army comes in, surrounds the city, and just, um, you know, they, they, they devastate the city. Uh, we're told that uh, by, again, Josephus, that historian that I mentioned earlier, uh, he, he recorded that over a million Jews died uh, during that siege that, that, that Rome, uh, the Roman army uh, made against Jerusalem, against the Jews. And he also mentions that no Christian uh, died in that incident because uh, they remember what Jesus said in Matthew ch chapter 25 about that event. You know, when, when you see the Roman army uh, the, uh, come, you know, surround the city, get out of there, right? And uh, we'll see that here in a couple of weeks when we study that passage. But, um, you know, apparently no Christian died uh, during that event because Jesus told them to, uh, to, you know, get out of town when you see the Roman army encircle uh, Jerusalem, but that's probably, again, that's the reason why Jesus here is weeping, right? Because uh, he's, he's looking to a time when uh, they're going to be barricaded around, surrounded them, he says, hemmed in on every side, and, uh, and uh, they're not going to leave one stone upon another, right? Jerusalem, the temple, all of it's going to be destroyed um, because, he says at the very end, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation, I was there, Jesus says, I was in your midst, and you did not recognize me as Savior, you did not follow me, and they're going to be punished for that, uh, the Jews are. And uh, so, <clears throat> so uh, keeping with those aspects of Jesus in, in this lesson, again, Jesus is king, uh, Jesus is uh, powerful, uh, we noticed that third one was Jesus is caring, right? Because he's weeping. And then the fourth one is Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Again, he says there in verse 42, even you, the things which make for peace, if you had only known those things. Um, well, I guess that's a good place to end. Appreciate you guys uh, and your comments this evening. And we will go.
keep moving on into uh, the final week of Jesus' life, uh, Sunday morning.